Well, hello. Welcome to another installment of Big and Juice. I'm Kevin. With me, as always, are Blake and Rad. How are you guys doing? Fantastic. Yeah, great. You pumped to be talking about gambling? So excited. About the regulation of gambling. I'm pumped about talking about the regulation of gambling. I would like to point out that we got some fan mail. Oh, yeah, that's right. We did. We got one email from a listener who said that he just stumbled upon our podcast, and this listener finds the history and legislative history of gambling to be fascinating. And so he found this podcast fascinating. It's wonderful. I didn't share the whole email with you guys. He did say that he likes one of the hosts better. (laughs) Kept that to yourself. I'll let you guys uh, chew on that one. (laughs) So today we're going to talk about the Travel Act. Very interesting piece of legislation, also enacted in 1961, Mm -hmm. same as the Wire Act. The Wire Act came about in a very interesting cultural environment in the United States, right? You guys know what I'm referring to? The mob. The mob, right? The mob mob was a huge impetus. For sure. For the Wire Act. So I kind of went down a a black hole of looking into Bobby Kennedy, right? Mm -hmm. Robert Kennedy, who's the attorney general, who really took it upon himself to take down the mob. So before we get going with this thing, I wanted to start with a little trivia (laughs) on Bobby Kennedy and John F. Kennedy, President Kennedy, right? So I'm going to tell you something about one of the two of them, and then you guys tell me which Kennedy I'm referring to. Did you guys know that there was nine Kennedy children? Yeah. And these kids were super, super wealthy, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, the father was a politician. I read that Bobby Kennedy got a paper route, and his parents were so impressed and proud that he got a paper route. Then they found out that he that Bobby had the chauffeur driving him around in the oh Rolls Royce <laughs> to drop off the newspapers. Oh my god! The parents are not as impressed. Yeah. After that, okay. So first one, this Kennedy has a purple heart. I would say Robert. It's John. It is John F. Kennedy. Yeah. He was the only president to win a purple heart, mm-hmm. and they but they both served in the Navy. Okay. This Kennedy has a mountain named after him. First ride. <laughs> <laughs> this is a hard one. Uh, I'm going to go with John just because uh, he's a president. That's correct. In 1965, some mountain in Canada, 14,000-foot hmm. mountain, was named after John F. Kennedy. This person was the first person to summit Mount Kennedy. Is this someone famous? It's one of the Kennedys. Oh, I would say Robert. It was Robert. All right. <laughs> Robert was the first Kennedy to summit Mount Kennedy, named after his brother in 1965, with a team of guides. I'm guessing, based on the Rolls Royce story, I'm best guessing the guys just carried yeah, him probably did. the mountain, which is much how I, I think do it's my one of those ones with like a you know they put on the shoulders right. and he just like yeah. sat on. Okay, he was a known philanderer. Johnny boy. Johnny. That would be both. Actually, really yeah. trick question. So our last trivia question, he inspired Jerry Springer to become a politician. It's got to be Robert. That was Robert yeah. because Springer was working for his campaign when Robert Kennedy was assassinated by Sirhan Sirhan. Let's get into the Travel Act. So I bring up Robert Kennedy because he was attorney general from, I think it was 61 to 63, right? Um, or 61 to 64 during Kennedy's uh, presidency. And he really took it upon himself to take down the mob. And so he was able to help get past all these instruments to help the federal government. So I had shared with you guys some research that I found where it was from his Senate hearing speech when he was talking about this legislation they wanted to pass. And he had all these examples of people doing acts of organized gambling in different states. But once that actor crossed a state line, 
then the authorities in the originating state might have lost some sort of jurisdiction or the authorities in the home state couldn't get him for things he was doing in another state. For instance, someone was taking information from a bookie in New York, crossing straight lines into Massachusetts, going and using that information to place wagers, right, to disseminate lines, and then taking that money back across New York. And so it was very difficult under the current, under the then um, state legal system to prosecute these guys. So they pushed forth the Travel Act, and the Travel Act was passed in 1961. And I'll you know, pass it on to you guys as I confirm Bobby Kennedy's uh, years as an attorney general on the internet here. Uh, tell me, guys, what did the Travel Act say? The Travel Act basically was a federal criminal, criminal statute which gave the federal government the authority to prosecute for a certain list of specific crimes and whether it was a federal crime or if it was a crime in the state that the person was going into. Yeah, I think it just added on whether or not was if you use an instrumentality of interstate commerce, something's passed under the Commerce Clause, I believe, and they were trying to use like essentially anything that you're doing to cross state lines, whether that was actually physically driving across state lines or using the the mail. Anytime you did that, it took state laws and or federal laws and criminalized them for that act of, of actually crossing the line. And, and foreign travel as well. Yeah. Yeah, so he was the attorney general from 61 to 64. I just wanted to confirm that. Right, so it's just anything crossing state lines. They talked about using the mail. They talked about using crossing state lines. And I thought it was interesting that they linked four types of nefarious behavior together, right? It was gambling, prostitution, narcotics, and then... Um, bribery. And well, there's loan sharking, laundry. bribery, but then there was one more. Oh, it was the, the laundry one was the, was the four key ones. But in the notes that I read, they said that at that point in time, they estimated that 50% of the revenues for the mob came from gambling activities. The narcotics trade was much more lucrative, meaning it was much more profitable for them. But the gambling activities were a huge part of what the mob was doing. And then Bobby Kennedy went on in this Senate hearing speech. It was really fascinating. He, he broke down how it's not even gambling for the, for the mob. He mentioned, he said, they're, they're placing these bets. He said that there was this, some sort of a, you know, a pick a number type game where they're selling 999 numbers, but they're only paying out odds of 600 to 1. Right. So they're taking a thousand dollars, let's say they're paying out six hundred dollars. So it's a guaranteed 40 percent rake for the for the yeah for the originator. And then he also talked about how clever they had become at laying wagers to where the gambler, the guy on the street came and said, OK, I'll take this game or this one line. And then they just passed that line and he used the word reinsure. So the guys who were placing the bets were going and finding someone else to take the other side. And those guys taking the other side were finding multiple other parties to take both sides of it. So that really all of the gambling or all of the bets on the side of the bookmakers were being reinsured and done over. This is very easy to do now through the use of the internet, right? This is how casinos operate. Now they can always balance the bets. They just move the lines to balance the bets. Back then, that was a little harder to do, but by placing so many bets out there on both sides of it, they essentially got to a system to where they were never going to lose and they were just going to take the juice, right? The VIG, mm -hmm. which he had mentioned was 4 to 6%, but he talked about how much money these guys were making. So he obviously had a really good understanding for how this thing works. And I think it's just also so interesting from the origins of the law of how it's linked together with prostitution and narcotics and um, Shylocking is what they called the loan sharking. I thought that was an interesting term for it. And then bribery, like like Blakely had mentioned. It, gambling has such an awful, I shouldn't say awful, not anymore, but for a long time it had such a foul smell 
attached to it because it was all those other things. You know, if gambling had come out of the Catholic Church, right? Mm-hmm. As crazy as that sounds, but if it had come out of the Catholic Church, none of this would have ever happened, right? I, I don't think gambling. There's a separate argument as to is gambling bad, and we've got this tax on the poor type thing. We can talk about that later, but because it came from the mob. And because the mob was doing these other things, namely, in my mind, prostitution and narcotics, then gambling got a bad rap. If gambling had just come out of states that were raising money to fund public institutions, like it started in the 1700s, we never would have been here. So this kind of begs the question of, you know, when did it become associated with the mob and when did it become so bad? And that goes back to the conversation we had about the 1800s and the late 1880s and the walking <laughs> contests. And then, you know, gets into the Black Sox scandal, which we still want to talk about. So that's the impetus for the Travel Act. But I'm curious to hear what y'all's thoughts are on, you know, why is gambling always associated with, or for then, why was it associated with these other things, these bad things? One thing that I read that stood out to me is that, like you said, gambling was the big source of income for these organized crime families um, and that it was funding these other activities. And so just like the Wire Act, it was it was another opportunity that Robert saw to curb organized crime. Yeah, I think, you know, Kevin, you make a good point about where gambling kind of came from and what its views were in my society. You know, when we talked about the early era of the U.S. and you did have the states raising capital for the Civil War by using lotteries, clearly back then it didn't have maybe the bad rap that it eventually got. But I, I think it's kind of I mean, history tells the story of constantly back and forth between how different generations view gambling, maybe in a way that's that's not necessarily the same. Although, you know, with the legalization of marijuana and, and some de- other decriminalizations of, you know, I think mushrooms in, in Colorado now, that probably happens again also with drug use or, or different types of drugs. But there's probably some sort of moral element to it, right? Some sort of religious element that the, certain of these behaviors are immoral and incorrect that allows them to be kind of outlawed. And then when there's a monetary basis for doing them, it kind of becomes legalized. And and if the mores of the time are more accepting, then they probably become legalized. But yeah, I think the reason it got wrapped up with all those other things was because for the multitude of reasons we've kind of gone over in the past, like there was a, a pushback again against gambling as this thing that's wrong. And as soon as something is wrong, the only people that are going to do it are those that are are going to do criminal activity sure. and find a way to get We're it. We're operating so, outside of the yeah, law anyway. Right. Exactly. That makes sense. To further this point as to you know the origins of gambling as a bad thing, there is no way that you're going to get me to believe that in the late 1700s when they were trying to fund the Civil War, they're trying to fund public universities, that people said, well, I know gambling's bad, but let's go start Harvard, so I'm going to pitch in, right? I, I just don't even think that came into the consideration set. And you also have to think about, I don't know what extent narcotics existed in the 1700s. And I think prostitution was much more socially acceptable back then, at least based on the Westerns that I watch, right? <laughs> so at some point in time, gambling got this um, bad stink on it. And maybe we just have the mob to blame, right? Maybe this started in the 20s and hopefully that has largely gone away. But I think if you went and polled America and we had a number of people, most likely an older generation and we asked them, is gambling good or bad, or are you for or against? And they said they're against or that it's bad. I think a lot of them would just have a negative association with it without actual any actual data as to that, other than maybe the mob the mob used to use gambling as a revenue generator to perform other you know bad activities. But hopefully that's all changing. Let's spend a minute just kind of actually breaking down the travel act since you know that's kind of the point of the of the podcast. 
one of the things I think is really interesting, it just goes to the brilliance of these, these drafters is subsection A says, whoever travels in interstate or foreign commerce or uses the mail or any facility in interstate or foreign commerce. And it's that or any facility which picks up the internet, mm-hmm. picks up wire. Now, I know we have the Wire Act, but picks up any other way of communication interstate, right? It's just brilliant because maybe in the 1961, they knew about some way of linking mainframes together or whatnot. I'd have to get my technology history squared away, but it's just brilliant. And it says, with the intent to one, two, and three, distribute the proceeds of any lawful activity. So it's not the Travel Act isn't actually making the activity unlawful. That's the thing is, we knew that this unlawful activity existed. We just have any way to prosecute it interstate. So distribute the proceeds, commit any crime of violence to further any unlawful activity, like breaking someone's kneecaps, or otherwise promote, manage, establish, carry on, or facilitate the promotion, management, establishment, or carrying on of any unlawful activity. So that paragraph, that third subsection, (laughs) let me read it again, because it basically says, or everything. Yeah. Or otherwise promote, manage, establish, carry on, or facilitate the promotion, management, establishment, or carrying on of any unlawful activity. So anything at all kind of related to unlawful activity is now illegal, right? One mm-hmm. thing that I thought was interesting to you that I that I had come across is that the wording of Part B actually federalizes certain state crimes. Mm-hmm. So sure. if there's not an analogous federal law, but a state has a law that makes something illegal and you do it and you cross state lines, then now that's going to be covered by the Travel Act. Right. Which seems to be wholly inconsistent with the 10th Amendment. Well, I mean, now we're getting into PAPSPIS stuff here, right? right? Anti-commandeering. Because it's not really anti-commandeering what they did, right? If you, under the Supremacy Clause, if they legislate at the highest of level, then it trumps whatever the state law is. And so they're just getting into this area they're not actually telling the state what specifically to do. Now, if you're a purist, um, which there aren't many of them left, all of them apparently are on the Supreme Court, though. Uh, if you're a, an originalist, you might say that the Tenth Amendment still has stronger value and that you know anything that's criminal shouldn't even be at the federal level at all because it's not listed, enumerated in a way. But I think we've, you know, Commerce Clause and everything else have kind of found our way to do anything we want at the federal level. You know, so you mentioned we kind of transitioned in the past, but that'll probably be our next one. It's interesting to think that with all this, we still had to pass PASPA, right? Because <laughs> we just said basically anything that deals with unlawful activity, I guess the question is, what's unlawful activity? Exactly. And, you, and if gambling is pretty broadly, hasn't been narrowly defined, then you don't know what really is unlawful well, I mean, activity. Blake makes a great point. If you look at the Wire Act, if you look at the Travel Act, even if you look at, and we have a difference of opinion how to pronounce this, UIGA, UIGA, uh, all of them borrow state laws. Yeah. You know, they're, they're not doing anything. I mean, it would be too cumbersome for the feds to say, let's enumerate everything that's wrong out there. Instead, they say, look, it, we're the federal government. We, can, we have authority when you're tr- passing between states. And if you do something that's wrong on the state level, we want a way to prosecute that as well. And the 60s were a big time of it, but it's carried on under UIGA as well. But it, the 60s, that's exactly what they were doing. They were saying, we need to find a way to apply these state laws at a federal level. And so the Travel Act, you know, the Wire Act, all of those did was borrow the state lines. That's exactly what all of our RLOs say for all of our legal opinions we write on these issues is essentially it eventually always comes down to a state issue mm-hmm. because all these federal laws are pointing to the states. So then you actually have to analyze the states to determine. So that's why 
gambling law in the U.S. is so complicated and complicated is because you basically have 50 different jurisdictions with different ideas of, of what is or is not gambling. And even the federal laws are really just applying those. It's a good reminder to check out our sports betting legislation tracker on Vela Wood Law. We are tracking state by state what's going on. You know, it's currently, uh, sports betting is currently been passed in 10 states to some varying degree. And we've got background on all of that, where the law is, what it says. But Rad, you know, to follow up on that comment you just made, it's just going to be a whole lot easier if there's just one set of laws regarding sports betting, right? However, if you do that, I don't know if people in Texas necessarily share the same visions about sports betting as people might in Colorado, right? Agreed. That's yeah. the point. That's why we live in different states. We yep. could do things differently. And if you're really passionate about sports betting, then you can just move to Nevada. Totally you can move agree. to another state. So it would be easier if we had a complete federal blanket. I think what there needs to be is a federal floor, right? So here's the things that you can and can't do on a like real basic level. You can't gamble on high school sports, period. You can't gamble on college sports, and you know I'm not advocating one way or another. But those sort, you can't gamble on amateur. You know it's, that stuff will probably start to come out and just set a floor. You know, high school is probably the right level if we're going to discuss that. But above that, if you want to say that you can gamble on college sports, that's for a state to decide, mm-hmm. right? We're just saying in Nevada, you can't set lines on high school sports or below. Period, right? You can't gamble on cockfighting or you know other types of animal type behavior because the yeah, dog fighting dog stuff fighting. like that right because that crosses some other lines and so i think what's going to happen is the federal government will set that floor and then everyone will be able to legislate above that so that's going to wrap up our travel act discussion you guys have any other final thoughts before we uh, close this one up i think we should really dive deep into bobby kennedy's hike up that hill so <laughs> if anyone has any info on that give us a call okay bobby kennedy really interesting guy blake you were mentioning a book about him i think uh we need to check that out. I want to research him I'm, a little I'm more. I'm 90 90, 95% sure. The Last Campaign is another good book on him. Different topic, though. An- another one, too, is 13, 13 Days is a good one, but one about the philandering is, I believe, Blackwater was based on his story in a car crash, and the girl dies. Oh, that's Teddy. Teddy. Okay, yeah. one of the Kennedys. Mm-hmm. It was one of them. Yeah. Interesting family, for sure. Okay, shout out to anyone checking in or listening from FSGA. Uh, we're going to be talking to those guys here at the FSGA conference coming up in a couple of days. And please check out our sports betting legislation tracker, our DFS legislation tracker, both available at VelaWoodLaw.com. Uh, thanks for listening. Check out other podcasts. This is the Big and Juice podcast. If you have any comments at all, please email us, podcasts at VelaWoodLaw.com. That's V-E-L-A-W-O-O-D-L-A-W.com. Thanks, everybody. Talk to you soon.